welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. As we open our Bibles to Acts chapter 14... We'll take a moment to refresh our minds a little bit, our memories with a, with a map concerning Paul's first missionary journey uh, that was in the region of Galatia, as you see there. Paul and Barnabas, uh, in our passage today, are now fleeing from Iconium. That was our passage two weeks ago. They're fleeing from Iconium because there was a plot hatched, a scheme to stone them, and they have now consequently traveled only 20 miles south toward Lystra, uh, located at the top center of your map. Uh, the region uh, is called Lyconia in Galatia. Uh, it used to belong to the Grecian Empire, uh, but now is under uh, Roman rule, under the Roman Empire. Uh, that began in 31 BC. Uh, they were conquered. The Greeks were conquered by the Romans at the Battle of Actium that you might have studied uh, back in school. Uh, that is where the, the navy of Octavian had routed uh, both the navies of Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Uh, but this region we are looking at around Lystra, um, specifically Iconium and Lystra and Derby, uh, they remain culturally Greek. Therefore, they, they still embrace, they, they still regard, they still worship the gods of the Greeks. Also, uh, it's important to know before we read Acts 14 that there existed at this very time a legend, a very, very well-known legend, common legend in Lystra, telling how Zeus and Hermes had, had once disguised themselves as humans and uh, as John MacArthur states, if you have one of his study Bibles in his notes, uh, he says, these two Greek gods had, uh, quote, visited Lystra incognito, asking for food and lodging, all turned them away except for a peasant named Philemon and his wife Bacchus. And consequently then, Zeus and Hermes, being turned away by everyone else, uh, took vengeance on Lystra by drowning everybody in a great flood. So as I read from Acts chapter 14, uh, verse 8, recognize that this Greek myth contributes to the reaction of the crowds as they conclude a miracle of Paul healing a lame man, a cripple, it serves as evidence that Zeus and Hermes have once again visited Lystra uh, and, and disguised themselves as humans, uh, and therefore Lystra had better offer sacrifice this time around. Uh, Paul and Barnabas sacrificed to them to appease these two Greek gods, or Lystra may once again be destroyed. Reading the account from verse 8 of Acts chapter 14, at Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, and had never walked. Uh, this man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, uh, when Paul had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright to your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, uh, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you, 
and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and he did not leave himself without witness. In the fact that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness, uh, even saying these things, with great difficulty they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. Well, uh, upon fleeing Iconium, uh, what do we suppose that Paul and Barnabas did right away when they got to Lystra? That, that answer is, is pretty easy to find. You just go back to verse 7 where it says, they continued to preach the gospel. Literally, we studied, they kept on evangelizing. So, so they're actively engaging this crowd, evangelizing the crowd in Lystra with the content of the gospel. Therefore, when verse 9 reveals this lame man was listening to Paul as he spoke, the original Greek actually implies that he was listening very intently to Paul. What this lame man heard and believed was the gospel. Because Paul and Barnabas were continuing to gospelize. And at this very moment, God had granted the lame man a free gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. A gift of faith to believe what Paul was saying about Jesus was true. You know, the lame man hadn't possessed, before Paul and Barnabas got to Lystra, uh, some latent faith within him, some, some superior uh, level of faith, uh, more so than any other ordinary Christian. Uh, rather, as Paul preached, the man simply, by God's grace, received the Lord Jesus through faith. And when Paul looked over and, and locked eyes with the man, fixed his gaze on him, God gave Paul a special divine revelation. Somehow God conveyed to Paul, we, we aren't told how, but conveyed to Paul that this man had been saved through faith. God, God had granted the man faith in the fullness of the gospel which Paul and Barnabas we're preaching. This would include how Jesus uh, was the Son of God, that he, that he died for our sins, that, that he died and he rose and seated at God's right hand, the things we were singing about just moments ago, and that Christ will sometime in the future return to establish his kingdom on earth where there will no longer be any sickness or death and where everyone will be made well. By faith, all of us who believe in Christ and in his imminent return, you know, followed by the resurrection of the dead, you know, and, and that all Christians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, will enjoy those glorified, imperishable bodies uh, that will no longer experience any pain or paralysis. The, this resurrection of, of the dead has and will remain a fundamental element, a, an, a, an essential component to Paul's gospel throughout his whole ministry. The resurrection of the dead is essential to the gospel. Uh, if you recall from before Christmas, and back in chapter 13, you know, we examined Paul's reference to Psalm 16, and uh, even uh, included how King David there expressed with, with a great confidence that, that this future kingdom of God's Holy One uh, will be a place 
where my flesh will dwell securely. Uh, we, we studied how David believed he would be raised from the dead. Uh, Paul expressed that up in Iconium. Um, so why would we assume that a foundational truth such as this in Paul's gospel uh, would have changed or, or would have been omitted in Lystra uh, as he preached to them? Uh, th- this is the one true gospel. It-, it continues to this very day. It hasn't changed. Along with the bloody cross, Paul was preaching to Lystra uh, how the Messiah will return and-, and that there will be a resurrection of the dead of all Christians who've died. We will receive blessed eternal life uh, with immortal bodies where all of us will be made well. Do you have such a faith? Yeah, I do. I do. This shoulder is here. It's giving me a lot of trouble. And that's just a minor thing. I'm very much looking forward to that day. Uh, Christians believe this wholeheartedly. A- and likewise, this text assures us this lame man shared the same faith as us. He believed, end of verse 9, that he too would be made well. The text doesn't tell us explicitly when the lame man expected to be made well, but only that he had faith in the gospel. Perhaps he simply had the same faith, like you and I do, that his paralysis would be made well in the kingdom after the resurrection. That's my hope. It's your hope. Or maybe he heard from Paul how many had been made well uh, uh, following the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Uh, He trusted possibly uh, that that could happen as well very quickly that he could be healed. Uh, We aren't told that. Uh, We know that he believed he would be made well. Uh, the, The text, however, folks, the text does not in any way teach us how to have enough faith to be made well. All Christians have the same quality of faith, uh, and and we, we too, trust me, we too will be made very well. The only question is timing. When will we be made well? We know that day will come when Christ returns. But what the passage is intended to reveal, what it's designed to reveal to us, is that Paul is now performing 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Paul is now performing the miracles, signs, and wonders of a true apostle. In verses 9 and 10, Paul is clearly accomplishing an identical miraculous work that God did initially through Peter and John way back in Acts chapter 3 at the gate called Beautiful. Remember that? There we observed months ago a man lame from his mother's womb who had never before walked uh, being told by Peter, stand up and walk. And remember that man leaped to his feet, uh, began to walk, began praising and glorifying God. So what the writer Luke is communicating to us is not how we can you know, generate enough faith to be healed in this age right away, but that the identical miracles Luke recorded earlier that Peter and John accomplished among the Jews are now being accomplished by Paul among the Gentiles. This healing of the lame man, lame from birth in his mother's womb, uh, this healing supplies an added validation that Paul is a true apostle and that God now makes no distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. 
major topic in Acts chapter 15 when we get there. This is what verses 8 8 through 10 are meant to achieve, that there can no longer, for the reader of the book of Acts, there can no longer be any question about Paul that he is a true apostle just as Peter and John and the others were. But the Lyconians were convinced otherwise. Those who lived in Lystra concluded otherwise. And in the Lyconian language, that that was a regional dialect that uh, Paul and Barnabas probably couldn't understand, or if they did, didn't understand it very well. And the people began saying in the Lyconian language, verse seven, uh, verse eleven, excuse me. The gods have become like men, and they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes uh, because he, Paul, was the chief speaker. You know, the, the miracle is so compelling, so compelling. Uh, Lystra concludes. Paul and Barnabas, they must be the Greek gods. So obviously, once again, the citizens of Lystra knew, just as Jerusalem had known way back in, in chapter 3, this man was lame from his mother's womb. All the locals knew that. They, they knew over many, many years, uh, this man had never walked you know, he, he wasn't one of these strangers nobody had ever seen before that, uh, that they rolled out onto a stage in a, in a wheelchair, blanket covering the legs, covered by a blanket. Uh, no, uh, um, like this, the lame man that was back in chapter 3, you can't fake not walking for 40 years. The Lyconians or the Lystrans all know we've been carrying this guy around as a cripple his entire life. This is a bona fide miracle. No fake in this one. And yet, the miracles didn't save the lame guy. Paul knew that he had faith even before the man was healed. And get this, the locals, at least the majority of the locals, are not one to Christ through witnessing a miracle. Instead, they offer sacrifices to to Zeus. You know, Barnabas and Paul, they must be the Greek gods uh, that we've been hearing about in the story since our youth. Zeus and Hermes, once again, they become like men, uh, so we had better pay homage to them. Uh, And this is what local superstition does with the gospel. They completely misinterpret the purpose of the gospel, apart from saving faith. uh, Folks, apart from faith in Christ, you'll come to bizarre theological conclusions. Many of them will be reflected um, uh, in what you learned since you were a youth. And as a result, in verse 13, uh, the priest of Zeus gets involved. The priest of Zeus, whose temple is just outside the city, he brought oxen and garlands, decorated wreaths, uh, to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowd. This is how they responded to the gospel. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? Listen to this. We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you 
that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Think about that. We are men just like you. Men and women all sharing the same nature. You know, back in chapter 10, where Cornelius becomes the first Gentile to receive Christ, Peter visited him. And we're told when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. Literally, uh, Cornelius prostrated himself before Peter, bowing down. And what did Peter say? How did Peter respond? He said, stand up. I too, just a man. A man is all I am. And similar to Peter here too, Paul and Barnabas declare that we are men of the same nature as you. We're not gods. We're not the creators of the universe. We are merely his creatures. Just creatures. Folks, and Romans 1 has a little bit to say about bowing down and worshiping the creatures rather than the creator. God alone, God alone, our creator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but God alone receives worship, sacrifice, veneration, admiration, adoration. God alone receives these things. Uh, Did the fact that these were ignorant local traditions, simply ignorant, uh, and acts of veneration towards idols, these sacrifices, God wouldn't even want them anyhow. He he wouldn't even want the sacrifices that were brought. Uh, Does that make their offerings of oxen and garlands you know, just a benign exercise. You know, inconsequential. Uh, you know, they're just pagans. What would you expect them to do? It's you know, no big deal. Uh, no, it's a big deal. Uh, these acts of pagans are false, idolatrous forms of worship that offend God. Idols offend God. Even idols of unbelievers offend God. Paul and Barnabas assure Lystra uh, the vain things that you are offering yourselves to, what you are giving yourselves to, uh, they're a travesty. They're a travesty. Uh, they, they begin, Paul and Barnabas uh, begin tearing their clothes, uh, probably at the collar. Uh, that, that is a gesture, a pretty, pretty common gesture at that day, uh, that there is a blasphemy going on. This is blasphemy. The, the gods your, your heart is bowing to, and, and the possessions you, you sacrifice, they're, they're just, this is all just vain, dead things. You're offering yourselves, uh, your time, your possessions to completely empty pursuits. Your Bible probably has a footnote that describes these vain things as literally idols. These are idols. Ignorance is not innocence. And these are indecent acts of idolatry that all men must turn away from. In verse 15, Paul's giving instructions to unbelieving pagans. We we preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things. 
turn from the idols to a living God who, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul will later commend the Thessalonians. For they, um, quote, turned to God from idols to serve, to serve a living and true God. The command is as true today as it was then. Turn from your vain and empty idols to serve a true and living God. Put them all away. Buckle your seatbelts. This is where we accelerate to our day. Eve of 2024. Ask yourselves if Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, men which Scripture esteems as committed to Christ, if they would not dare to receive even ignorant expressions of worship, because by nature they were just men, and because it would detract from the true and living God. It would take attention away from the true God in heaven if they won't receive the veneration, the adoration, the worship. How then can Christians offer expressions of these same types to the vain idols of our age? Men, Women, celebrities, models, athletes, singers, millionaires. Don't know any of these individuals personally? Who is LeBron James? Who is Dakota Johnson? Who's Taylor Swift? They don't even qualify as servants of the Most High. And many, in fact, most of those who are celebrities in our day, uh, they stand diametrically opposed to everything that Christians believe. perhaps most incriminating, they have a nature just like ours. They are mere creatures. They are not our creator. Folks, we are witnessing in our day a major Romans 1 violation. Professing to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Man is only a creature and must never receive veneration or adoration or sacrifice or worship. Friends, our Lord's angels, they refuse even to, to receive any form of worship. Only Jesus Christ may receive worship and sacrifice, and that's because he's not a creature. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is our creator. And he alone shall be worshipped as our Redeemer who bore our sins in his body on the cross. He's the only one that shall receive our sacrifice. 
to the glory of God the Father. You know, surely I understand our flesh wants to justify itself here. It pushes back a little bit. Um, Protest. Justify ourselves. Uh, We say things like, um, yeah, but I don't think these vain things, mere humans, are my idols. They're not carved out of wood. They're not chiseled out of stone. No, they're worse. In our day, idols have voices and they talk. They post on Instagram and other places to persuade and to lead thousands and millions of followers to imitate their errors, their behavior, and their broken ways of thinking. Again, we we protest. We've been all raised this way. Applauding and celebrating and, and cheering and imitating the athletes, the celebrities, the fashion models. Uh, th- this has just long been ingrained in our culture. It's just who Americans are. This, my friends, in Lystra was the problem. It was in their culture. It came from the culture. And these men and women... They have a nature like ours. They're like the priest of Zeus. He came to lead astray. To encourage people to serve, you know, vain and and empty things that are directly opposed to the holy ways of God. Um, How then shall we offer ourselves prostrate? To, to adore and praise them in our minds. The Apostle John closed his first epistle with this one sentence, Little children, guard yourselves from idols. You know, the human mind, you've got one, I've got one, the human mind can become filled to serve empty and vain things. The carved wood, the the chisel itself, by the way, uh, that's not the idol. It's merely an image that imprints the idol upon the mind. You know, many Greek cities had various statues and carvings of Zeus. The people there knew that these aren't all Zeus. It's a statue in every city around. Uh, most didn't bow down to the statue thinking, you know, that that sculptured rock that is there is Zeus. Yeah, yeah, the, the ancients weren't complete idiots. They understood it was a rock or a wood carving, uh, most of them anyhow. Instead, they were prostrating themselves to, to the visible impressions that they saw uh, about Zeus. And these images had left graven images in their minds about who Zeus, uh, Zeus and Hermes were. And they adjusted their lives. They adjusted their habits to serve them. Think about that. The carvings and the rocks were visible images impressing upon the minds things about the false idols that they were serving. This is what makes the graven images so so dangerous, so destructive. The law says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth, you shall not worship them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous 
God. That is Exodus chapter 20. You shall have no other gods. You you shall not worship them. You shall not serve them. It doesn't have to be a carved image. It doesn't have to be chiseled out of stone. Our scripture reading earlier from Colossians chapter 3 revealed to us that even greed and covetousness amounts to or is equated with idolatry. No graven image required. Rather, the highest concern is the idol that is created and is consumed in the mind. What does the impression in the mind believe? The New Living Translation, maybe the first time I've quoted that here. The New Living Translation renders Colossians 3 verses 5 and 6 in this way. A quote, So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. And because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Idolatry in the mind. It doesn't have to be a graven image. I think that is a mistake we often want to default to. Oh, it's not a carving. It's not a stone. Folks, there does not have to exist a physically graven image in order for it to become your American idol. It can simply walk across the stage, captivate your mind with its strength or its beauty. It can even utter spoken words. Click the link and come follow after me. And as the mind devotes itself to adore, to to imitate and to follow in any way that conflicts with the Bible, even as simple as the way that we want ourselves to look and the way we want ourselves to dress, if it conflicts with the Bible, has become an idol of the mind. Oh, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Likewise, Colossians chapter 3 reveals that greed, it's an immaterial expression. An immaterial passion. Even greed can be an idol. Greed or covetousness can manifest itself in in any excessive or immodest desire. The expression of greed, it's, it's surely not carved out of wood or of stone. But if you adjust your behavior, your life, your mind to serve the passion and the passions of greed, it categorically becomes for us an idol in our minds. Ephesians 5 verse 5 says, A greedy man is an idolater. Some of you likely saw the picture of Wall Street's charging bull that I put up on Facebook this week. And perhaps, you know, some dismissed it uh, with a chuckle. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, that's not an idol. Because nobody comes and prostrates themselves down before it or lies in front of it. Uh, but it is not the bronze sculpture itself that is the idol. It's just representative of the idol. The idol is the impression that that bull engraves upon our minds to serve what it represents. Wealth is and can become for us Christians an idol. Gold, real estate, business ventures. 
any expression or manifestation of money or wealth can become our idol. Jesus assures in Luke 16, verse 13, you cannot serve both God and wealth. Each will demand to be your master. Where does it make that demand? In the mind. Which are we going to serve in 2024? God or idols? Because anything that you or I serve that redirects the passions in our minds, our time, our talent, our treasure, redirects it from serving the one true and living God, it becomes an idol. It competes with God in our mind as an idol. An idol in the mind demands that we remove the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from the centrality of our minds to insert as a replacement a substitute that demands our passions, our attention, our adoration, our time, our talent, our treasure, diverting our minds from serving the one true and living God. Folks, anything material or immaterial that displaces commitment and service to Jesus Christ can become an idol. It could be shopping at the mall every weekend. Could be. I buy things at the mall. But it could become an idol. Um, it could be some form of substitute entertainment, recreation, excessive relaxation, anything that drags us away from serving Jesus Christ as the one true and living God. Anything that drags us away from the purposes of God, it can become an idol. Excessive distractions create are created in the mind Josie, did I say this is going to hurt a little bit today? What'd you say? Yeah, go get them. Um, it'd be all right. Think about how much of our time, our talent, and our treasure we devote to screen time. Oh, some might say, that doesn't prevent me from serving God doesn't? What is displayed on that screen are not vain, or, or they are vain and empty images much of the time that displace Jesus Christ from the mind and, and swallow up your life and our resources that distract and divert us from a life that serves a true and living God. Still not convinced? Let's do a quick survey. You know, the Bible teaches us to treasure and store up the Word of God in our hearts, in our minds. Uh, next week, we're going to resume once again our, our memory verse for the week going forward for family night. Uh, scripture memory program that will be printed in the Sunday Bulletin uh, as we had last fall and had memory verses the year before as well. So in the last spring... And fall. Let's just go last fall. During the last fall, how many occasions did we vo devote ourselves to memorizing these passages for us and for our families? Because God says in Scripture, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Th that means... 
Talked about this in adult Bible class just a few weeks ago. That means God's commands must be memorized. Not merely stored in an app on your phone. Romans 12 verse 1 says, Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you approve what the will of the Lord is, the will of God is. That requires that Scripture saturate your mind continually, so that the word of God can displace the idols. Push out the idols that want to crowd our minds. So that we can consequently present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, uh, which is our spiritual service of worship. You know, suggesting that we can find a, a passage quickly, that we can look it up quickly, Actually, in just a few moments, I have an app for that. It's an impotent substitute, folks. It's impotent. The app doesn't help us to become a living sacrifice because the Word is not displacing the idols in our minds. It isn't preventing the idols from controlling our impulses, uh, There isn't an app that can substitute for our minds. Again, the Lord says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. That means the mind. You you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk uh, by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. That last phrase means the works of the law will be continually in your hands, and the words of the law shall remain uh, continually bound to the frontals of your brain. Bind them to your frontals. The la- uh, are we teaching our children to meditate on the law of God and to commit it and treasure it in their hearts? Or can we quickly and easily pull it up on an app? Short-circuiting the system does not work doesn't change us, doesn't transform us by the the renewing of our minds. Ephesians 6 verse 4 puts it this way, bring your children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. In 2023, how many occasions, mornings or evenings, uh, did we focus ourselves upon memorizing Scripture, binding Scripture to our minds, How many passages have we memorized? If we haven't, which I assume most of us haven't done real well, no wonder then our minds remain filled with so many idols. You may protest. I've heard this one. I've probably said it. I can't memorize. No good at it. Brain doesn't work that way. Well, our uh, course that we just finished on Sunday morning said uh, rightly, if I paid you $1,000 a week for every passage that you memorize, you would have no problem memorizing Scripture. No problem whatsoever. You can do it. I can do it. How much? That may vary between people, but we can do it. We want to rely on this whenever it's convenient. Oh, where's that verse again? Uh, Compare this then, just scripture memory, just one example. I'll bring one other. I'm trying to ingrain in us how we are not saturating our minds with Christ. Compare the time we spend memorizing scripture 
praying, evangelizing, giving, sacrificing, serving, visiting uh, the sick, uh, so many other things, cleaning. Compare these things with how many games of Candy Crush Saga we play. Oh, you don't play Candy Crush? What then exactly are the images engraved on our screens, phones, tablets, televisions, that have so bewitched us that we can't put it down in order to labor for our king and for the gospel of Jesus Christ? What has so bewitched us that we can't Set it down. Folks, screen time is a big problem for us. Big distraction. Putting things into our minds. You know, the idols and the images and the carvings around Lystra were so captivating to their minds. So captivating to them, these images that they adored that when Paul tells them to put them away, turn away from these vain things and serve the true and living God, the one true God, by the way, who, who sends the rain, who provides fruitful seasons for you to enjoy. Many of us enjoyed fruitful seasons in 2023. Wonderful blessings of the Lord, satisfying our hearts, food and gladness and all these things. When Paul gives them a picture of the true God, what happens? You know, remember, this is the same God today that we worship that had blessed Lystra centuries ago. Same God reaching out to us in 2024. Same God that provides us with everything, reaching out to bless us in some very generous ways. Many uh, manifold, generous ways. God still provides fruit in its season, satisfies our hearts with gladness. But after calling upon the people to put away the vain and empty things in order to serve God and his son, Jesus Christ, we will see next Sunday that they are easily compelled to stone Paul, drag him out of the city, and leave him for dead. That is what the preacher gets for saying, put the idols away. You might be having some of those same thoughts about me right now. What is it about the flesh? And what does the Word of God say? Before you drag me away, I have a few short questions that I hope, first off, I hope to survive until 2024. Number one, first in calling out their vain things, was not Paul's ultimate desire for them to be blessed? Did he not want to do what was best for his listening audience when he told them that? Surely he did. Would you not think the implications of the modern idols uh, that we must be putting away. Um, as you do so, would you not think that doing so is going to bless your life? That, that the, the same eternal benefit offered to Lystra is offered to you? Putting them away is going to be good. The distractions that are keeping you from the Lord are bad. There's so much more 
that Jesus Christ offers to do through you this year than does most of the apps on our phone. Secondly, what is so wrong then with man? What is so corrupt with us that he or she will react violently against the word of God in order to protect these idols? Third, think about all these things, vain and empty things that consume our attention. You know, celebrities, athletes, singers, finances, Wall Street. And then think about your screen time. What is so enthralling? Think about this. I've had to deal with this this week, all week long. You just got to deal with it for an hour or so. What is so enthralling about these images that these idols are being permitted to consume the majority of our time, our resources, our finances, our life? Is it shopping? Sports? Formula One? Thank you for your confession. (laughs) Entertainment? Vain dreams about places that you may go someday? Maybe maybe visit. And and these images that, that they hypnotize. They hypnotize and become engraved upon our minds. Are they more worth than serving the true and living God? With time and with resources and with talent, have they done, think about the last 10 apps you've been on. Have they done so much more for you than God? Have they sent you rains from heaven? Have they given you fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness? Or do they just keep crying more? More. Have the images on your screen. Statements, balance sheets, whatever it may be. Have the images poured out their blood for you on the cross? Have they offered to die for your sins as Christ does? And do they promise to deliver you from the wrath that is to come? And to deliver you safely into God's kingdom where there will no longer be any death or disease or paralysis, or sin. Compare the two. Jesus promises you all of that and more. And if you trust in him, if you turn from the vain idols that consume us to serve the one and true and living God, God promises to bless your year, to use you, uh, to prosper you to a degree, to bring you joy, to bring you purpose in your life, to use you for, for building his kingdom. If you will simply put the idols away. This is God's word of exhortation for 2024. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Let's pray.
Father, as you've done so much more than sending rains and giving us fruitful seasons and bringing the sun to rise every day uh, to help us in our times of need, to bring us even into your church, that we might receive the blessings that you've offered through your son, and you have done everything for us. I would pray as we look forward to a new year in 2024 that uh, we bear in mind uh, the things that are distracting us from service uh, to you, that we would be able to uh, displace uh, the images, the pictures, whatever they may be, that are being imprinted on our minds, that we displace them and put them away and live for the glory of Christ. Thank you, Father, for your church, the, the love we share, the compassion and friendships, and, and the opportunity you give each and every single day to serve you. And I pray that uh, we, myself included, will be able to put certain things away that we might be more fruitful for the kingdom that you've gave us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.